Let us pray. Our precious Father, we want to thank you again for the privilege we have tonight to listen to your word, to be taught by your spirit. We pray that you open our eyes, grant us understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are looking at uh, growing up spiritually tonight. Yeah, because it's very, very important that we understand that we owe it to ourselves to grow up spiritually. Look at this text uh, we read in Galatians 4 from verse 1, and I'm reading TPT. Let me illustrate. As long as an heir is a minor, as long as a Christian is a, Christ, is a spiritual minor, as long as a spiritual minor, he's not really much different from a servant. He's not different from a servant. Although he's the master of all, all of them, for until the time appointed by the father, the child is under the domestic supervision of the guardians of the estate. So now if you're a spiritual minor, you really, even though you have the promises of God and all of those things, you can't really execute them. Because minors don't know how to do stuff like this. So we owe it to ourselves to grow. It puts us in a terrible disadvantage. If we remain spiritual babies, we, we can't fight, can't win no battles. Babies don't win no battles at all. Or you depend on people, you know, all the time. They pray for you, looking for who will pray for you, looking for who did this for you. It, it, it's a life of dependency. It's not the best life of anybody, even in the natural. So we need to look at, remind ourselves of the need to spiritually grow. Uh, what does the scripture say? We can't finish this today but at least we make some points that will help us to get started. So, the greatest weapon, let me remind us, that the devil uses is the power of suggestion. You must have known that, is the power of suggestion. The power of imagination. He always gives us imageries because he knows that pictures are powerful. So, it comes into your mind to give you a picture of that you are dead. You can't make it. This has been happening to you. Nobody will marry you. Nobody will check you. You know, gives you, and it gives you all those po po very powerful imageries. And you look at them. They are his strongholds. And then sometimes he brings back to you the things you did years ago. He tries to bring back those pictures. Because he wants to lure you back to this, those things that you have rejected before. Even some people you, you don't want in your life. He will try to bring their pictures to you. All of that is his it's a, it's a way to try to penetrate your heart and control the issues of your life. So he uses the power of imagination, the power of suggestion. Suggestion is, the scripture calls it arguments. So he brings you into the realm of natural reasoning to look at things. He suggests from natural reasoning. And it makes sense. It makes sense. So people fall for it very quickly, very easily, because it does make sense to your natural uh, natural uh, being. But that's not, the ways of God is not like that. The wisdom of God is totally different. It doesn't make sense to anybody what God is talking about because God is talking about spiritual realities which are really true because you don't see them, it doesn't make sense. The Bible said that, the, you know, the, 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 the things of God is foolishness to people who, who don't want to accept it. So the devil uses all of that to try to contradict the word of God. So he said, look at what, can't you see this? So it's like, so how can the Bible be telling you this when this is happening? So he brings that kind of contradictory argument that really makes sense because you are seeing it with a physical. 
But God is telling you the truth which is in the spiritual. And the, the things that we see are made by the things we don't see. Some of those times we forget all of these things and we get entangled in demonic deceit and we lose very important battles. But when we grow and become spiritually strong, we'll be able to know. We'll be able to take our stand and walk in the wisdom of God at those critical times that he brings these things. These battles are real. It doesn't stop because you're a pastor or whatever. They are real. Sometimes they can be very, very severe. And sometimes they last for a while. This is not a joking matter because it means business. But you've got to mean business too. So we need to grow up spiritually. So we win these battles that you know, we engage in virtually every day of our lives. Something is coming up with all of these things. Now, the scripture teaches us steps to spiritual growth. One thing with scriptures is that it will teach you how to do whatever God wants you to do. There is nothing God wants us to have that God doesn't tell us how to get it. No. So I'm just going around and asking questions. If you read the scriptures, you answer all your questions. All the questions you want to ask, the scripture gives you the answers. Now, for instance, let's talk about prayer. That we, you know, when teaching about prayer, we're talking about prayer for ourselves. You know, we call it prayer of faith, where you are praying to get something for yourself, not for somebody else, for yourself. Now, the scripture tells you the steps you would take to get it work. He didn't just tell us to pray. He tells us this is how you do that. Because the world is light, lamp and light to our way. It tells you how to do this. So if you carefully follow scriptures, you will always, you will always succeed in what you are doing. Look, for, let, let's take this for, for instance. Look at Mark eleven twenty two. 22. Then Jesus said to the disciples, which is you and me, have faith in God. I tell you the truth now. You can say to this mountain, May you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. Man, this is amazing. He said, with words, you can move mountains, and it will happen. They tell you how it does happen. He said, but you must really believe it will happen. He said, you, you don't say vain words. When you say something, expect it to happen. He said, it will happen. And have no doubt in your heart at all. Then he brings it to prayer. He said, it's the same thing where you pray. If you, if you pray and believe you receive it, you get it. It's the same thing. He brings that concept he was trying to introduce here into our prayer life for ourselves. You're not talking now about praying for somebody else because the other person's faith is involved. You don't know what they believe. You don't know whether we even accept the prayer or not. But he's talking about you because you are in control of you, what you believe. So now it comes to verse 24. It says, I tell you, I, I tell you, you can pray for anything yourself now. Really? Yeah. But remember, this is a contingent on praying according to the will of God. Can pray for anything now. And if you believe that you've received it, if you believe and doubt not that this I prayed for is mine, he said, it will be yours. It's just as simple as that. But you know, we have been taught by religion that unless you put some human something, I don't see anything like that here. It's a very simple proposition. You ask for anything at all. Anything is anything that is yours, that you want, a petition to get something from God. But it's again contingent on praying within the bounds of the will of God. That's why Jesus said, if my words abide in you, then you can ask anything. So my word will guide you in the boundaries of the will of God for you. Say, but 
You can pray for anything, for anything, for anything. And if you believe that you received it, that's all. If he said, if you pray for anything, it will be yours. That would be different. But he put something in between. And if you believe that you have received it, but we want to see it before we say, oh, no, I have it. But he said, no, it doesn't work like that. Because the word you are speaking shouldn't be vain. You should believe in what you are saying. So he teaches us how to, how to receive for ourselves. He said it will be yours. Yours, it means that's mine. That's what I'm asking for, for myself. Then verse 25 said, but when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against. So that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Now, some people say, well, you know, that this can't be New Testament teaching. Why shouldn't it be New Testament teaching? They say because, you know, it makes forgiveness contingent of what a man does. No, it's not true. We receive forgiveness freely on the blood. But the Bible says, now you have received forgiveness, you now owe it to every man. Because you have, you have received the ability to forgive people too, because you have a new creature. You're a new creature. You now you say, oh, no more anything but to, to, to love them. So we now owe it to people because God has given us the ability to forgive because the same Christ that forgave us is now in us. Now he says, but if you in your own self-judgment decide that somebody does not deserve forgiveness, then you by implication is saying that you yourself does not deserve forgiveness too. And you are the one blocking it. If you decide tomorrow that the person deserves Forgiveness and you give, then you, you unblock yourself. Because it's what you judge others with, that's what you're judged with. You decide what you're judged with. Oh, I'm not going to forgive him. Do you know what he did for me? Okay, no problem at all. But what you're saying, in effect, is that I too does not deserve to be forgiven. Period. So I'm calling the shots. If tomorrow I say, okay, I forgive him, then I'm saying, okay, I too should also be forgiven. I'm calling the shots. God is saying, call the shots. <laughs> if you forgive, okay. If you don't forgive, your own is there. So it, and then we're going to look at it when we, when we uh, look at other aspects of this teaching we're doing. So now the scripture teaches us how to grow spiritually. Number one, by feeding. Every natural baby grows by feeding. You can't have a natural baby and hold the head and say, let me pull you, pull, pull you. No, it doesn't work that way. It's abuse. You, you, you only grow by feeding and feeding good diet. So the key thing is to feed. Is the key thing is to feed good diet. So what do you eat? What do you feed? Jeremiah 15, 16. Their words are found and I did eat them. Metaphorical language. Saying you eat the word of God. You feed on it. The, thy words are found, and I did eat them. And thy words was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by thy name, O God of hosts. Rejoicing of my heart. So I ate them. Which means I took it into my heart. It was the rejoicing of my heart. I, I accepted it. I received it into my heart. And so we start with the milk. The milk is, you don't chew milk. <laughs> Babies have a pre-digestive, pre-digested formula that is made for them. And then you drink it. They don't chew it. So there's no effort. So that's why babies start. 
People are praying for them, carrying them, go and visit them. You know, if, if they don't see them in church, you run quickly and say, if a baby, so you are giving him milk. No responsibility, nothing to chew yet. Nothing to chew yet. It's just milk. So, First Peter 2, 2 said, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the world that you may grow thereby. So you start there, you start there, and taking this milk, God, you know, all the blessings and the blessings come. People pray for you, you rush, they pray for you, God answers, you know, you give testimony, wow, they pray for me this way. That's awesome. Milk, milk, milk. Milk, milk, milk. Easy to drink. So as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the world that you may grow thereby. It, if so be, you have tasted now that the Lord is gracious. So when you, when you taste that milk, it's going to reveal to you the grace of God. So when you taste it, it's going to reveal to you the mercies of God in your life, how God is good to you. So now we start from that. But let me, let me do a detour here because we have a very big problem in the body of Christ where people are not patient with baby Christians. People who came to church newly got saved newly. Even people who are in church for years who are babies. We, we, we sometimes generally grow impatient with people. Somebody just got saved. Tomorrow you want the person to be, behave like an adult, to know the things you've, you've been in church for years. You want him to know the same things you've known. He just got saved. Sometimes we are not even patient to answer their questions. So we, we, we really, and sometimes we, 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 we choke them because we start giving them the, the, the solid food when they need only milk at that stage. And we start giving them these responsibilities and pushing them to do this and pushing them to do that. Sometimes some of them leave and they don't come back to the church. And we cost it. I remember a brother when I was pastoring in Lagos, just gave his life to Christ, came in from a Muslim, had too many wives. The first thing people rush to me is, Pastor, oh, he has many wives. He has to do restitution. I told them to get out. I said, get out. Leave him alone. He just got saved. You want to give him, give him a, a, a bone, choke him to death? Leave the man alone. Let him drink milk. The Lord God that brought him will feed him until he's mature to take bone. Leave him alone. I had to protect that man. I really feel I had to. Because there were all these zealous, religious zealous who know nothing. And that's what happens in the body of Christ most of the time. They gossip, if they do them, they gossip about them, they talk about them, and they say it's a Christian. And go, this is God doesn't like it. It's not the love of God at all. Do, who appointed us judges to? You know that man I'm talking about? After a long time, came to me in the office. He's a pastor. I, I've, been, I've been studying and I've been learning and I'm knowing. He said, at this point, I think I need to do away with my wives. I said, how did you arrive at that? He said, I, I sense in my spirit that I should and I keep one. I said, you want to do that? Don't do something because somebody is telling you. Because if you do something because somebody is telling you, you are not the one doing it. You should do something because you are convinced. Doing it by faith. He said, yes. He said, he said I'm convinced. I said, okay, fine. So you stay with your first wife? Yeah, I said, but you know this one have children for you. So you have to maintain the, 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 your children. So it was something he did from his heart. But he grew and now was ready for both. We, we, must, we must understand these things. We must allow people, give them chance to grow for God's sake. And these people who do this are really babies too. They are immature. 
Look at Romans 5.1. We who are strong, if you are strong, in our convictions and of robust faith, ought to bear with the felons and the frailties and the tender scruples of the weak. If you know you've grown, this is what you should do. You should bear with these things and not talk about it and try to embarrass them to show them how gingim you are. But all they're showing is ignorance. This is how you know you're strong. You bear the tender scruples of the weak. We ought to help carry the doubts and qualms of others. We ought to. And not please ourselves. You, you sacrifice. Verse 2. Let each one of us make it a practice to please, make happy his neighbor for his good and for his true welfare. To edify him, to strengthen him and build him up spiritually. Verse 3. For Christ did not please himself, gave no thought to his own interest, but as it was written, the reproaches and abuses of this who reproached and abused you fell on me. Christ was an example. Perfect, the only holy one, righteous one. But he said, I bore your weaknesses. Was patient with you. Still is patient with you and me. I just wanted to throw that in because this is really, it's really hampering a lot of things. When people get saved and people are new in church, even like I said, there are older Christians who are still babies. Please, for God's sake, love them and allow them time to grow. Now, we talked about growing up spiritually, feeding. We say feed, milk, feed on the word of God. And the scripture gives us, like I said, the scripture will tell you exactly how to get something done. It tells us what we feed on. What we feed on. Ephesians 4.11. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the defining of the body of Christ, verse 13, to all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge. Knowledge of what? Of the Son of God. Unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Until we all agree, until we come to unity of faith, we agree the same thing that the Holy Spirit agrees. We, we come united as we accept the word of God and agree with the scripture. And then come to the true knowledge of Christ Jesus that brings us to, to the fullness of his stature, to be like him. Chained by that knowledge. Our minds renewed. The only knowledge that will bring you to spiritual growth is the knowledge of Christ. That's why I tell people, I say, even your children, teach them about Jesus. Stop all these stories, stories, stories. All these Bible stories, it's wonderful. But if you don't point them to Christ early, you are not giving them the best. They, they do understand. They do hear. They do understand. They do hear. Verse 14. That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slate of men and coining craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. You see, so when you have the knowledge of Christ, you grow, and they see this deceit I'm talking about, you cannot resist it. You cannot resist it. A lot of people are walking in deceit in their lives. Some people are confused. They don't know where to go right, where to go left. They don't know who, whether this is what God wants. Totally confused. A lot of people. 
once you start teaching her, you're laid of the Holy Spirit, everybody packs the place because people don't know her. And if you don't know her, how are you not going to be confused by the devil further? Let me read it again. It, let me read 13 and 14 again. Till we come, we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Knowledge of the Son of God. Unto a perfect man. Unto the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. What happens if we have the knowledge of the Son of God? That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. So this I'm talking about of demonic deceit. You can resist it. In your personal lives, people have wasted years pursuing what God is not in. Doing what God doesn't want to do. What a waste. What the greatest loss is your wasting your life in what is worthless. It's not even part of God. What God created you to do. I tell people, if I knew what I know today, I, man, I would have taken a different. I wasted 10 years. Went to pharmacy school. Wasted my time in pharmacy school. That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. Every, you know, there's all prayer groups all over the world. I was told in Lagos now that even the Muslims have started deliverance, doing prayer. Somebody told me that they now do deliverance, they are imitating Christians. All manner of prayer groups. One sign of maturity is stability. An adult knows where he's going, knows what he wants. The Bible says we should not be mules that are led by the news. You see why much, this growth is very important? Paul's heart broke because he wrote it. Every church he was, he was talking about spiritual maturity. They were not growing. He said to the Corinthians, he said, you are, you are kind of your babies. He wrote as efficient. He said, the spiritual growth, you need to grow. He, he said to Hebrews, he said, why are you supposed to be matured? You are still taking milk. He didn't see anybody to hand over this work except one boy, Timothy, who wasn't even a Jew. He said, that's not like Timothy. Everybody is pursuing his own business. Only this boy, Timothy, knows the things of Christ. I don't know what grade the church has now in that aspect. So, so we must grow. So we're not tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slate of men and cunning craftiness Whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Devil lies in wait to deceive you. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Acts 20, 32. And so now I entrust you into God's hand and the message of his grace, which is all that you need to become strong message of his grace, talking of the cross, message of Jesus Christ. And, verse, and all of God's blessings are imparted through the message of his grace, all of them, which he provides as the spiritual inheritance given to all of his holy ones. As the Holy Spirit is introducing Jesus to the church, introducing Jesus to the church and convicting the sinner of their need for him, he, he, makes him, he gives us a thorough introduction of who Jesus is. I want us to know that the Holy Spirit's main primary assignment on earth 
is to reveal Christ to the church and to, make, and to convict sinners to accept him. He came, to be with, he came to lead us into all truth. Christ is that truth. Christ is the one plan God has for mankind. There's no plan B. Paul said, I pray that you will understand the, the plan of God for you, which is Christ himself. Now, see the introduction the Holy Spirit gave us. Very clear introduction so that you can't be confused about who Jesus is. In pursuit of knowledge of truth, what will make you grow? Look at 1 John verse 1. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning. See how the Holy Spirit is introducing Jesus. Whom we have heard and seen, we saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our hands. He is the word of life. You see introduction. Say Jesus is the word of life. So if you want to grow, shouldn't you feed on the word of life? Word of life. Verse 2. This one who is life itself. His life itself was revealed to us. And we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. See how the Holy Spirit is introducing him. He said, let me tell you people, he's the one of life. His life itself. He's eternal life. Clear, clear introduction of who Jesus is. He was with the Father and then was revealed to us. He is the word of life. He is life itself. He is eternal life. You can read introduction all over the Holy Spirit is introducing Christ. A perfect image of God. Reflection of the Father. One with the Father. Christ our God. John 1. First one. In the beginning was the word. Remember, in faith John said he was the word of life, and the one and the one who is life was revealed to us, and we have seen him, and we now testify and proclaim that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father. That's faith John. He was with the Father. Verse 2. Now go to John 1 and see. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with what, what was with God. Holy Spirit said in faith John, he was with the Father. Now he's telling us he was with, with God, and the word was God. Feeding on the knowledge of Christ is key. That's why many people are not growing. It's key. In verse 2, he said, the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Verse 4, in him was life. This is John, right? In him was life, and the life was the light of men. This was the light of this world. In him was, was life, and the life was the light of men. His life lightens you. His life gives you enlightenment. His life teaches you everything. His life teaches you everything. It's the light of men. So you should know him. So you have light. Verse 14, John 1, 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. Now, you can't be in doubt as what the word is. It's the knowledge of Christ. Are you surprised that Paul said, I want to know him? 
my, my entire desire in this life is to know him. Because that's the word. He said, there's nothing that compares with the knowledge, with the excellence of knowing Christ. Nothing. And you can see how he grew and became matured. Second Peter 1, 2 says, that grace and peace is multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ. You, the more you know Christ, the more you experience the reality of grace, the work of grace that he did. And it's those things that make you really mature and be like him. How do we eat this food? You know, before I go there, there's one scripture that we quote all the time. It says, be ye holy for all. I am holy. I've had it. I've even preached on it. But, and I realized that we're not getting it right there. Which time we hear, be ye holy for I'm holy. We stomach out to be holy. That's not what he said. Oh, we stomach out. Didn't you read it? He said, be ye holy for I'm holy. Oh, I'm going to be. He didn't say, go make yourself holy. Okay, if I stand here and say to that brother, I say, be ye healed. Am I telling him to go make himself healed? If I stand here and say to you, be healed. Am I telling you, go make yourself healed? He said, be, be you holy, be holy, be ye holy. I'm holy. Be holy. I'm holy. You are created in my image. Act like me. Just be ye holy. It's like another word of impartation. It's another word of encouragement. It's another word of instruction that says, hey, you are like me. Live like that. You've already been made holy. How do we eat this food? Study to know Christ Jesus as your goal, like Paul said. That's how we eat it, like I was saying. Philippians 3.10. For my determined purpose is that I may know him. That determined purpose. That's how you start. You must have that determined purpose. That I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him. You must have that determined purpose. Now, this is how we seek to know him. Attitude is important. Brethren, everything you want to do with God, God prescribes, tells you how. He said, if you want to know me, do it with all your heart. If you want to seek me, seek me with all your heart. Don't seek me half-heartedly. You won't get me. In Deuteronomy 4.29, but, but if from tense thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him. If thou seek him with all thy heart, with all thy soul, now, let's go back again to Philippians 3.10. For my determined purpose is that I may know him. I'm going to seek him. I'm determined. I'm not pulling back from this goal. With all my heart, with all my soul, I will seek him. With all my being, he becomes my purpose to know him. I'm going to invest in this thing. Whatever it takes that's when God reveals himself. Let me tell you, if you, don't make, if, if you don't make things of God a treasure, God will show it to you. No, no, he won't. God doesn't joke. He's not a joker. If it becomes important to you, he will show it to you. He, he, I, I, I have some experience with God lately. I was sharing with my wife. And, then, and the Lord said to me, he said, if you didn't show me how important this is, I won't reveal it to you. 
He said, I've watched you over years, over, over days, spent time seeking this thing. And then you made your point that I really want this thing. I said, don't preach it yet. Because I want to do other things. You want, I want you to use those things and preach it because they won't understand this. But I see it doing something in my life. If knowing Christ becomes important to you, you will be invested in it, and heaven will know that this is important. If you seek him with all your heart, with all your mind, you begin to have a river, the wonders of his person. The wonders of his person. I said it last time. I said to the Lord, I don't want to be talking about Jesus. I want to know Jesus real. I want a li- the living Christ is what I'm hungering for. I will talk about Jesus. I want to know him. It's real. It's living in my heart. I want the real knowledge of Christ. I don't want the told me to. No, no, no. He's, li- he's the person. Christ the person. And that includes meditating on his person. Meditating on his person. Focusing on who he is. And the works of grace that where he revealed his love for you, the real love of God, his life of love. You, have, you need to be invested in these things so that you get that revelation that makes you know him and be grounded and be rooted. So when they bring the seed, you won't look at it. Just like Paul, you can say, I know in whom I believe. Job said, I know my redeemer, leave it. Dave, you can't, you can't move me one second. I, he said, I will see him. I know my redeemer. I know him, devil. You can't, you can't talk me. Even the wife tried to talk him out of that. He said, no, you're wasting your time. I know him. And then you pray that the Holy Spirit will open your eyes to know him. Because nobody knows the son except whom the father reveals him to. You know, Peter, when Peter said, Thou art the Christ, Jesus said, Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. But you know that Peter was not the first to tell Jesus he was the Son of God. Somebody else had done that before Peter. If you read the Bible, you know that somebody said to Jesus, You are the Son of God. The man I talked about that came under the fig tree. Say to Jesus, you are the Christ, you are the Son of God. It's revealed by the Holy Spirit. Nobody can know Christ except the Father reveals the Son to him. And nobody can know the Father except the Son reveals the, the Father to him. That's why you pray to the Holy Spirit to open your eyes so you know Jesus. You know Jesus. Jesus becomes real to you. His personality, his person. You, you know his fellowship not in terms of words any longer, but in terms of real interaction with a living person, a living Christ. Real interaction, real conversation. So we talked about starting to know Christ, eating the manna that makes you grow, eating the food by starting to know Christ, focusing on him, now let's talk about the second one. We must be doers of the word. Doers of the word. Doers of the word. Doers of the word. James 1.22. 
But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Now, this is another scripture that we have preached and have preached on it. But you know, Revelation is progressive. So, recently I realized what God is really talking here. And when I realized it was sitting on this my chair, one day, so I've forgotten what I was preaching, and this scripture came to my mind. And then something said to me, read that scripture very well. It's not being properly interpreted in the body of Christ. I said, really? Yeah, I said, it's not being proper. I said, read it. He said, once they read it, they all go to the law. They all push themselves to what they are going to do. He said, read it well. But you know, it, it has really three applications. In a broader sense, yes, it includes what you are supposed to do. In a broader sense, and we're going to look at it. But there are two critical things that this scripture is really pointing out to. Because it's right there. It's not outside, it's right there. When he say, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving your own selves. He tells us exactly what he has in mind. In the next verse, in verse 23, TPT, James 1, 23, TPT says, if you listen to the word and don't leave, and, and don't leave out the message you hear, you become like the person who looks in the mirror of the world to discover the reflection of his face in the beginning. You perceive how God sees you in the mirror of the world, but then you go out and forget your divine origin. He said, this person who is not doing the word, the word, not the Lord, the word, Christ, the word, is somebody who hears the gospel, has a revelation of what Christ has done for him, walks out and forgets it. That's what he said. He walks out, forgets who God made him, for, totally forgets it, and keeps living his life by his effort and self-righteousness and all those kind of things. If you listen to the word and don't leave out the message you hear, you become like the person who looks in the mirror of the word, Christ the word, to discover the reflection of his face in the beginning. You perceive how God sees you in the mirror of the world, but then you go out and forget your divine origin. You forget everything. Divine, you, uh, uh, King James says you forget who you were, from where you came, what God changed you from. You forget everything. Because the word of God is showing you what God, what God did for you in Christ. So when you behold this glory, you are changed into that image. Christ is the world, so he's showing you a reflection of what he did for you. That's what it's all about. It doesn't go outside the work of grace. It doesn't go outside of that. Because, brethren, that's the only way you and I change. You and I cannot change by effort. You and I change only by faith in believing what Christ did. All the changes wrought and got for us by believing in the Holy Spirit makes it work. But when we look at what Christ has done and forget it, we are deceiving ourselves because we can't change. The change is not coming. I'll tell you one thing. Many Christians are struggling with things and they can't handle. But it's swept under the carpet. And they wonder what's going on. Oh, Jesus told us now, if you, know, you shall know the truth, then the truth will set you free. Who is the truth? Christ. Look at what, how Peter put this verse. 2 Peter 1.8. Peter put it properly. Look at what Peter said. For if these things be in you and are bound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
pointing us to the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, what be in you, if the character of Christ is in you and producing, it makes you to grow from glory to glory so that you will not be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. He had forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. He looks into his eyes, forgotten what Christ did for him. He goes out there, he's not changing. He goes out there, he's not changing. That's the, he's not a doer of the word. Word, W-O-D. Word. He's not a doer of the word. He's not walking in faith. He has forgotten. So he continues to, you know, be ye holy for I'm holy. So he wants to be holy. He's making effort to be holy. You can't be holy if God doesn't make you holy. The Bible says what you have you did not receive. Christ made us holy. Imparted holiness in us. Created us in true righteousness. So he said, I'm holy. You are holy because I'm holy. Because the life I gave you is a holy life. Okay, so you be holy. Now you go live that life because I already gave it to you. It's not a man to produce holiness. Only God is holy. Holiness comes from God. It's not even a man to produce righteousness. Only Christ is the real righteous person. He imparts this life of righteousness in us. We are righteous because he is righteous. He made us righteous and gave us his position of righteousness before God. <laughs> Peter said, he has forgotten that he was even poured from his old sin. So he's doesn't remember the benefit of the gospel. That's what James is talking about. People who go to church, listen to the gospel, go, go out, they forget what Christ achieved. They don't change. You say you are deceiving yourself. You are do of the word. Because the only way we escape corruption in this, in this world is by that, that new nature, that new nature. By that new nature, we, we, we escape the corruption that's in this world. And the only way you can experience it, you have to believe it, embrace what Christ has done, then the Holy Spirit makes it real in your life. Case closed. Look at Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. If he didn't create us anew, we're not going to do these good things. So we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus. So because we're a new creation now, we cannot do the good things he planned for us. So that's why if you, if you don't know this, if you don't embrace these things, you are not going to grow. You're not going to mature. You remain a carnal Christian and a baby Christian. You can be zealous, but without knowledge. Then the second meaning of that, be doers of the world, is found in that same James chapter 1, verse 25. It says, But whoever looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Now he's telling us now, the first one looks, forgets what Christ did for him. Now this one is talking, he looked into the perfect law of liberty. And does not continue in, in it. So what is the perfect law of liberty? James 2a tells us what it is. I told you that God will teach you how to get things done. James 2a tells us what it is. You are calling is to fulfill the royal law of love. As given us in the scripture. 
royal law of love. Royal law of love. Royal law of love. You must love and value your neighbor as you love and value yourself. For keeping this law is the noble way to live. Verse 9. When you show prejudice, you commit sin, and you violate this royal law of love. James 1.25 says, Whosoever looked into the perfect law of liberty, continued, continued daring, continued daring, he is not, he be, be not a forgetful hearer, but a doer the, the, of the work, this man shall be blessed indeed. So this law, James 2, 8 tells us this royal law is about love. Now let me read it in an amplified translation. He said, if however you are really fulfilling the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That is, if you have an unselfish concern for others and do things for being benefits, you are doing well. Now look at verse 12, James 2, 12. So we both, so we must both speak and act in every respect like those who are destined to be tried by the perfect law of liberty. So what is that perfect law of liberty? It's the law of love. Read the next, read the next 13. And remember that judgment is merciless for the one who judges others without mercy. So by showing mercy, you take dominion over judgment. So why is it real love of liberty? So when you walk in love, you are, you, 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 you are free from judgment. That's why it's called real law of, of uh, liberty. When you walk in love, you are free from judgment. That's what they say. Let me read it again. James 2.12. So we must both speak. We must both speak and act in every respect like those who are destined to be tried by the perfect law of liberty. What is, what is that perfect law of liberty? I remember that judgment now is merciless for the one who judges others without mercy. He doesn't show love. So by showing mercy, you take dominion over judgment. You take dominion over judgment. Remember what Jesus said. If you don't forgive others, you won't be forgiven. That's what he's talking about. Royal law of liberty. When you walk in forgiveness, you too receive forgiveness. When you walk in mercy, you receive mercy. So you cannot see what he's talking about when you say, be you a doer of the word. He's saying, the, the, what it means is, but do as I look at, look at it to the perfect law of liberty, which is law of love, which releases you from judgment because you release others. When you walk in that, continue daring, he being not a forgetful hearer, but he do of the work, this man shall now be blessed in his deed. So you see the definition of royal law of liberty is the law that sets you free because the way, let me read other scriptures so we can understand it further. Look at Matthew 7, verse 1. Let me read message. Matthew 7, 1. Don't pick on people. <laughs> Jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. Verse 2. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see a smudge in your neighbor's face and be oblivious of the ugly snare in your own. Do not have the nerve to do you have the love to say, let me wash your face for you when your own face is distorted by contempt? It is this whole traveling roadshow mentality all over again, playing a holier-than-thou part instead of just leaving your part. Wipe your ugly snare off your face. Then you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. 
See this royal law of love. He's saying, stop this holier than thou thing. Walk in humility, walk in love. Don't judge others so that you are not judged. If you don't want to be judged, want to be set free from that, then don't judge. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. As simple as ABCD. It's called royal law of, of liberty. Then in Matthew 7, 12, therefore, all things whatsoever, whatsoever, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do even so to them. For this is the law and the prophet. This is the law and the prophet. Let me read it in NLT. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Brethren, there's one law you can't deny. Sowing and reaping. If you put mango, you get mango. You, can't, you don't have to study. If you put orange, you get orange. This is what it's all about. He said, this is all, all that the law and the prophets are telling you. That all this thing depends on what you initiate yourself. So if you want to be free to be from judgment, you set people free in love. Forgive them too. It's royal law of liberty that sets you free from being judged because you don't judge people. When you judge people, you pack up judgment for yourself. I, I, I remember I was sharing with my wife about uh, this man that had very powerful healing ministry, had the universe, Ararabos. Then one time he said, he would, all this healing, healing, healing. Then he said, a lot of people are still sick. And he went to the Lord. He said, Lord, there are endless people who are sick. And the Lord said, there's a law of sowing and reaping. Some of them is what they sowed there. You remember what Jesus said, Peter? He said, hey, put your sword back, Peter. Peter, put it back. You go caught with sword, you go with it by the sword. So when you look into these laws of love, forgiveness, and you walk in it, the Bible says, where well, you'll be blessed. <laughs> you are free of judgment. You, you, you enjoy the, your blessings with God. But you go around judging people, snaring at people, doing I holier than thou is pride. You will fall. That's why the Bible says, if you are be you doers of the word, you have to believe the redemptive work of Christ then you walk in love because love is the, there are only two laws in the New Testament, not more than two. Let me read it for you. First John 2, 3. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Commandments. He that said I know him and keepeth not his commandment is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whosoever keepeth his word, be you doers of the word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby we know that we are in him. Six, he that said he abided in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have had from the beginning. Verse eight, again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true of him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light is now shining. Verse nine, he that said is in the light, and hated his brother is in darkness even until now. What's he talking about? It's love. He that loveth his bro brother abided in light. 
and there's no occasion of stumbling in him. Verse 11. But he that hated his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. 1 John 3, 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren, not because we pray too much. Because we love the brethren, he that loveth not is his brother abided in death. We are talking of eternal life in our life center. And I was telling them, I say, yeah, it's eternal life because we have life forever. Yeah, we have life forever. Once you have Christ, you have life forever. But there's eternal death. You don't have Christ, you don't have life, you have eternal death. You are in death forever, separated from God forever. Forever. Separated from God. That's a terrible death. I said, that's, that's what make up preach the gospel to people. So he said, we know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abided in death. Whoever hated his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now, verse 23, and this is his commandment, just in case you don't get it, that we should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. This is the commandment. You should believe in the Lord Jesus, love one another. There's no other law in the New Testament. That's it. Verse 24, he that keepeth his commandment dwelleth in him, and he in him, and hereby we know that he abided in us by the spirit which he had given us. Now look at Romans 10, 13, 10. Love does, does no wrong to others. So love fulfills the requirement of God's law. Love does no wrong. So love fulfills all the requirements of divine law. Once you love, that's it. There's no other law. Once you walk in love, you've done everything, everything God requires of you. That's why it's a real law. Real law of love. People who don't walk in love, they are not doers of the world, and they're deceiving themselves. Then thirdly, there's a broader use of the word, do the word, you know, be a doer of the word, in that you have to do whatever the word prescribes for you to do. For instance, Look at this one, First Peter 2. Therefore, I exhaust first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may, be, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Verse 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Verse 4. Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time seven, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ, not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. He said, therefore, I exhort, I urge first of all, first things first, first of all, that supplications for the saints of God, for the church, for the church. And there's a lot of things you pray for the body of Christ for. That, that we begin to preach the gospel. We're talking about people with spiritual death. How can we know this and just our heart is not moved? He says supplications. Prayers and intercession. Now intercession is for all men. Why? Because God wants all men to be saved. For kings, those who are in authority, that will live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence 
for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God. In the broader sense of do, do you do us of the world, this is the world we should be doing too. He wants all men to be saved. Wants people to come to know him. Now, if we do have the word, you'll be doing, you will pray like this. We don't pray like this, but all we do is talk political argument. Complain and find what is wrong. Just deceiving ourselves. You know God calls it wickedness. Oh, I don't know if you know. Someone said, I commit sin if I don't pray for you. But the Holy Spirit called this attitude wicked heart. A heart that will not pray. Will not pray for the body of Christ. Will not pray for the nation, for, for people, for um, all men. The Holy Spirit says is a wicked human being. I'm very proud. So selfish. Look, you say scripture you read every day. 2 Corinthians 7, 14. If my people, which are called by my name, <laughs> Christians called by my name, shall, number one, humble themselves and pray and seek my face, Turn from their wicked ways. Why is it wicked? They know that people are going to hell, but they are not interested in praying. They know that they hold the key to make God heal their nation, but have no interest in it. God said that's a wicked heart. They hold the key. God said, if just my people, if they will pray, I'll heal their land, but they are not. Say they are wicked, they are proud. They're heartless. I'm not expecting the hiddens to do this. They are the ones that hold this key. They have the ability to make me do this, but they are not. We say, but God should do what he likes. No, the aid God gets to the children of men. So he said they are wicked. If they turn from their wicked ways and walk in love, you should read about Paul. The kind of heart he had was. He said, he said, I'm ready to go to hell for my people, Israel, that I want them to be saved. That's the kind of heart God is talking about. Doers of the word, here it is. You want to bring your prayer list and check if you are a doer of the word here. And then when things are not going well, why are you blaming anybody else? Because you hold the key to reverse it in your place of prayer. For all saints, yesterday we were talking about praying that God will raise laborers. The last one I want to talk about is faith will grow in a heart that is good. It's not every heart that the word of God grows in. That you have to weed out your heart. There are a lot of weeds in many hearts. So many weeds. Choking the word. And that's why the word is not really growing there. We have the responsibility to do something with our heart. You know, there's a prayer we say, create in me a clean heart, O God, and I renew a right spirit within me. No, God answered that prayer in Christ. Look at Ezekiel eleven nineteen. I will give them one heart that will put a new spirit within you, and I will take the stony heart out of their flesh, and will give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. This was fulfilled in the covenant. Hebrews 8, 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, said the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their heart. And I will be to them a God and they shall be my people. First Corinthians 2, 2, 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, 
but the spirit which is of God, that we might now know the things which are freely given to us of God. Then in 1 Corinthians 2, 16 says, for we, for who had known the mind of the Lord that we may shut in bed, we have the mind of Christ. So God answered this thing in Christ, fulfilled that promise for us. So it's our responsibility to go renew our mind. It's not God's responsibility. To purge your heart is your responsibility. Of junk, it's your responsibility to guard your heart diligently. It's not every heart that the seed of the word grows well. There is a good heart where it grows, a heart that has been purged of junk. It grows well and produces fruit. Now, finally, look at it here in um, Matthew chapter 13, 22. He also that receives, receives seed among the tongues is he that beareth, heareth the word, and the care of this word, the seedness of riches, choke the word, he becometh unfruitful. These are the things that kill the word, the junk in the people's heart. 23, but he that receives seed into the good ground, that is good heart, people, good ground, is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also bringeth, beareth fruit and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Who among us, you are going to sow seed, you go to where there are a lot of tithes. It won't produce. The Bible said, every tree not planted by my father must be uprooted in our heart to make room for the seed to grow so that we can mature, become strong, and become people that the devil is afraid of. Not people that are afraid of the devil. And then God can use us to establish his will in the nation where we are in praying for all saints, praying for all people. Let us pray. Father, we just want to thank you again for reminding us what we need to do to grow, to grow spiritually, to be strong. You didn't call us to be selfish. You called us to take responsibility, and we need to grow to take responsibility. You called us, Lord, to be victorious. We can't be victorious when we are babies. You called us, Lord, to show forth your glory. We can't do that unless we grow into full maturity so that we're not tossed about and deceived by this deceitfulness that is all over the world for there's preponderance of the doctrines of demons all over the place. I pray that you help us, Lord, to understand this teaching and respond to it by faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.